I remember a time when uh, I was feeling pretty lost and and pretty hopeless, frankly, and uh, and feeling frustrated and desperate for a change. And during one of my meditations, this this guidance came to me, and it, it said, "Love the life you have, create the life you love." So. It's about starting with loving my life exactly the way it is right now and loving myself with all my shortcomings and mistakes that I've made in my life. Um, I'm still good enough, and it's okay for me to, to feel good about being here. And with all the problems in the world today, I'm still grateful to be living on this, this planet. Welcome to The Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. So let's dive in and get started. Today's guest is Robert Gerzon. Robert is the author of the groundbreaking book, Finding Serenity in the Age of Anxiety. He is a Boston area psychotherapist and life coach. He draws upon a diverse background in holistic medicine, psychology, philosophy, and spirituality. And Robert also has a new book on the way called Human Earth Awakening. Welcome to the show, Robert. Great to be with you, Drew. So, Robert, why don't we start with this? Um, you you were telling me that you recently sold your home and you became a nomad with your wife in Europe, which is which sounds amazing. Obviously, before this this pandemic, but can you talk about what prompted this big move and what you learned from your travels? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we had been writing this book, Human Earth Awakening, and we got into a, got it to a point where. We were feeling feeling good about it, and we were realizing that um, you know we we never had a chance to really see Europe. Um, so we decided to sell our house, put our stuff in storage, and become nomads for a while. And uh, we had a wonderful time traveling around for about four months, going to about seven different countries, staying in maybe twenty one different Airbnbs, and it was a real adventure for me on a, on a couple of levels because. Um, uh, for one, it was just great to be able to spend all this time with my my life partner and and uh, the love of my life, see so many places with her, and have our our relationship really grow from that as well. And um, and the other part was seeing um, well two things really seeing like how how empires have been all over this planet. Every country in Europe started an empire and was based on this kind of power hierarchy, and that was so clear in all the the castles and the um, you know, the big buildings and the, the Arc de Triumphs and all those kind of monuments that you see all over Europe. And that really contrasted with another layer for me when we were traveling. And that was going to visit some of these really ancient places of gathering, ancient places of worship, the, the stone circles that um, we saw our first stone circle in Portugal and uh, the last one when we got to uh, to Ireland. So it was amazing to see how there was a kind of a universal human culture that valued gathering in circles and connecting, you know, at times of like the equinox and the solstices. So that was really meaningful for me to uh, connect with my own deep ancestors, you know, who were part of the culture of Europe at that time and had a part in gathering together. And it, it just, it, it made me feel good about, uh, about my ancestors and about, um, you know, us as human beings that we really do 
want to connect with nature and we want to connect with each other. Beautiful. Um, Robert, there's so much anxiety in the world right now. Um, in your book, Finding Serenity in the Age of Anxiety, if you, you've written about how anxiety can also work for us instead of against us. Could you maybe just explain that to, uh, to some of the people listening, what you mean by that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, in 1997, I, I wrote this book called Finding Serenity in the Age of Anxiety. And the reason I wrote that is because I'd made a discovery that really changed my life. Because uh, honestly, I've been fighting anxiety my whole life. Uh, I, I was basically born anxious, <laughs> had birth trauma, you know, challenging childhood. I had a lot of anxiety. And, um, and through my own healing and helping others as a holistic counselor and life coach, I had an awakening where I realized that anxiety is actually a form of life energy. And I'd be much better off if I learned to dance with it, you know, rather than being afraid of it, trying to get rid of it, medicate it away, suppress it, or let it dominate me and drive me crazy. So, you know, learning to dance with anxiety led to reading this book and writing this book. And uh, when I, um, when I realized that anxiety could be a friend as well as a foe, it helped me a lot. And I started to um, kind of go deeper into, well, what is anxiety? What have the philosophers said about anxiety? What, what do spiritual teachers say about anxiety? And what's some of our common folk wisdom about dealing with anxiety? And um, the key was finding out that there's really three different strands to anxiety. It often has us tangled up in a knot, but if we separate out those strands, we can actually take charge of our own anxiety. And these three strands are toxic, natural, and sacred. And um, understanding that toxic anxiety is the kind that drives us crazy and, and serves no useful purpose, we can safely stop listening to that toxic voice in our head. And natural anxiety, you know, that's just, that's the anxiety that's there to keep us alive. It warns us of real dangers. It uh, energizes and alerts us to take advantage of opportunities. So that's more like what we'd call excitement, you know, the anxiety that can turn into excitement if we use it in the right way. And then, you know, the big one, sacred anxiety. So, I mean, um, one of the things I, I say, I kind of re-paraphrase uh, the philosopher Descartes in my book. He said, I think, therefore I am. And I just changed it a little bit to, I think, therefore I am anxious. Because the very act of thinking, the very act of being conscious makes us anxious because we feel separate from the world around us on some level. So the sacred anxiety is about the big things in life. It's about life. It's about death. It's about the purpose of life. It's, you know, those deeper questions that uh, can sometimes wake us up at three in the morning and uh, keep keep us from going back to sleep. So, um, you know, I, I learned to kind of um, change that toxic anxiety into natural and sacred anxiety so that it became a, a fuel for my own growth. And that's what I was able to, you know, help a lot of other people do as well, because, um, well, as you know, anxiety has been increasing exponentially ever since I wrote that book. Right. It's uh you know, turned into an age of high anxiety and, and, and panic today. So kind of yearn, yearn for those those anxious days of the, the 90s when it was just sort of normal anxiety. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Robert, I know one of the one of the things that I that I also really loved in your in uh, that book um, when you talked about, you know, just the, the self-talk and how we're all talking to ourselves constantly and the voice in our head yeah. can either be someone that's really a friend and supporting us, or, you know, a lot of us have voices in our heads that are constantly beating us up. And if someone is struggling with negative inner talk, 
Um, what would you what would you recommend to them to maybe improve the quality of their their inner dialogue? You know, th- I think the thing that helped me the most uh, was it started really si- with be- simply becoming curious about the programming that was running my life. I mean, by the time I was in my 30s, I had made a mess of my life in many ways. So it's kind of like after a plane crashes, the investigators try to find out what happened by looking in that black box, the sort of the electronic flight records. So I realized my unconscious mind is kind of like the black box in my brain. So I wanted to know what was in there, what was running my life, what was running these some of these self-destructive, self-sabotaging patterns that I had. And that got me interested in paying attention to my inner talk because that was the most accessible way to find out what was inside that black box was just to, you know, stop and listen to what I was saying to myself. And so I began to develop that habit of just asking myself, what am I saying to myself right now? So that's really the first step in becoming aware of inner talk is being curious about what's going on inside my own head and um, just stopping long enough to ask myself, um, you know, like, gee, I I'm feeling anxious right now. What was I saying to myself that was making me feel that way? And I'd also kind of pay attention too. sometimes when I was able to solve a problem, I'd ask myself, okay, well, what voice was I listening to? What was I saying to myself that worked so well in that situation? And, you know, by by um, paying attention to my inner talk, it started to, you know, bring up to consciousness some of these stories that had been implanted in my head, some of this programming, you know, that society puts in our head. And a lot of it is is, is outdated and, and negative. So, um, you know, once I became aware of that inner talk, I realized that I had a choice about it and that I could choose my own inner talk rather than just repeating things that had been told to me by authority figures in the past. And, um, and that really allowed me to begin to feel like I was uh, sort of kind of charting my own course or writing my own story in my life instead of just repeating old stories that I'd inherited from the past. Mm, that's great. And didn't you say somewhere about a million dollar question? Like, what would I rather? I, this is something I've tried. I, I, I think you mentioned this to me last time is just because I've used this in my own life is just asking yourself that question, you know, what would I rather be hearing right now? Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that's been really helpful for me. Yeah. Um, that, 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 that's so simple, isn't it? And it's just like, there's a part of you that knows exactly what you need to hear at every moment. And I think with the, I mean, life today is, is kind of like just one crisis after another for most people, you know, and it's awakening this really core survival anxiety. And, um, and that's why I think, you know, learning to, um, to make friends with anxiety is, is definitely one of the survival skills for the 21st century. I don't think things are going to be getting a lot less anxious in the years to come. I think we have a lot of challenges ahead of us. And um, it's, it's, you know, I remember Helen Keller said, you know, uh, life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. And I think that's a good, good attitude towards life. Absolutely. Um, So Robert, you just finished a, a book that you wrote with your wife called Human Earth Awakening. And in the beginning of this book, you have a great quote by Thomas Berry, And he said, it's all a question of story. We are in trouble just now because we do not have a good story. We are in between stories. The great historic mission of our time is to reinvent the human at the species level by means of story. And I'd love for you to talk about, you know, why are stories so powerful? Sure. Yeah, well, that, that, that quote was um, one that really challenged me to ask myself, you know, what, 
what is a new story for today? And um, the, the reason that, you know, stories are so powerful is because um, they really are the way that we make sense of the world. Um, our stories represent our worldview. You know, every culture has has origin stories. We have the Garden of Eden story in the Bible. We have the, the story here in America of the Mayflower and the Revolutionary War. And of course, we have our, our personal stories. You know, what kind of person we are, a good person, um, how our life is going, um, maybe like stories like, oh, I'm good at work, but I'm terrible at relationships. And most of our stories are out of date and they're often constructed around things that weren't even true in the first place. And stories are important because we make decisions based on our stories. Um, I might say to, say to myself, I better buy this right now because the prices won't go up. Or I better not buy this now because I don't have enough money. And all stories have a ring of truth to them. But, you know, who's really ringing our bell? Is it is it our true voice or is it an ego voice? So, you know, it's about looking at who's the author of the stories that we tell ourselves. And one of the things that... Um, um, you know, that got me really interested in this, you know, was inner talk and realizing that well, when you put all the inner talk together, it forms a story about our life. And, um, you know, so many people have been programmed with negative stories about not being good enough, um, not being lovable, uh, all sorts of things that drain our life energy. And I think that's another uh, key to choosing inner talk. I I'd always ask myself, is my inner talk draining my energy? Or is it energizing me? Is it boosting my energy? So that's another good way of you know, finding out whether the story that I'm telling myself is a healthy one, a life-affirming one, or whether it's uh, one that's really draining my energy and maybe sending me off into a, a detour instead of keeping me on my life path. Mm. So Robert, would you say that, I mean, we're dealing with so many issues right now. Would you say that so many of the problems are coming from just we're listening to the wrong stories and really to put ourselves and the world back together, we have to listen to and, you know, like you did in your book, we have to create a better story to really change our lives and our world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, um, well, if you look at our society today, it just seems like we're running on a confusing mishmash of stories that's really get in the way, getting in the way of seeing clearly. And we need to hear everybody's story today. But um, but our stories tend to fight with each other, you know? Um, and that's because our stories are really based on a, an ancient story of fighting and domination. Whose story is going to win? Um, we compete with our stories. And, you know, the media is always competing for eyeballs and clicks and everything with stories. So stories have become commercialized. And uh, it kind of, uh, you know, when you think back to the role of story in traditional cultures, um, first of all, there was no media. There was just, you know, an elder telling a story around the campfire. And um, and these stories were really life-affirming stories. They were stories that the older generation had, uh, had inherited from their ancestors and the stories that they wanted to pass down to the next generations. So, you know, stories that helped to navigate the, the different phases of life, birth, childhood, marriage, uh, career, work in the world, and old age and death. So, I mean, stories were really there to to guide us. And, um, you know, when civilizations started to come up, uh, the elder stories started to fade in the background. You started to have official stories. You know, you had the uh, stories that came from the empire, from the emperor. This is what our culture is about. This is what it's all about. And this is the God that you should worship. 
And you know what I love about the Native American traditions that they, uh, and all the indigenous traditions really, they um, they remind me that um, each of us really need to come up with our own origin story, you know, and that uh, that as human beings we need to come up with a new origin story because our origin stories are tied up with domination, you know, go out and conquer nature and uh, and multiply and spread your tribe around the world and dominate the other tribes. And this goes all the way back to the to the very beginnings today. You know, that all of our national stories, our cultural stories, our ethnic stories, they're all great and they all should be honored. But at the same time, when we have global problems like global warming and we have uh, global problems like the pandemic where we're all being afflicted by the, the very same virus, um, we just we need more of a global story that can bring us together as homo sapiens, you know, as a species and help us to uh, meet the challenges that are there today. And the pandemic has really brought that home in a very immediate way for me. I mean, it, and we, we um, one of the things we did after we got back from, from Europe was we start to revise our story, you know, and with the pandemic, just uh, making sure that this incorporated this incredible wake-up call that we've gotten on our planet today. And uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it is a, it's an opportunity for all of us to, use this period for a really deep, radical self-reflection. What, what is our life about? What's our purpose here on Earth? And on a larger level, as human beings, what kind of, pla- what kind of planet do we want to have? How do we want to get along with the other species on this planet? So I'm much more, you know, like personally, I'm hearing a story about co-creation with each other and with other species rather than domination. And of, of you know, trying to gather together and share our stories with each other. And Human Earth Awakening, as, as you know, uh, uh, is a story about people having a chance to tell their stories. So the different tribes on the planet coming together and telling their stories, the European tribe, the Asian tribe, the, the African tribe, and the Native American tribe. Uh, we've never actually done that, even though we have a UN. You know, we've never sat down and actually told our stories to each other. And... Um, and that's an opportunity for healing the past and healing the trauma that we've done to each other on this planet. So, um, you know, the the idea of telling new stories really um, includes um, looking at the old stories of trauma and genocide and, you know, all the terrible things that human beings have done to each other over the years. And knowing that one of the reasons we're having so many problems today is that we never healed those. You know, we never had that that counsel to heal all those stories. So, uh, you know, in our book, uh, there's a lot of voices that, that come in there. There's voices from the, the children of the seventh generation, voices of our ancestors, of Mother Earth. Um, and there's, there's even an appearance by the virus itself and some, some ancient relatives of ours, the Neanderthals. So uh, the story really uh, was, was an incredible ride for me, you know, back through, back through our history and kind of putting what's happening today in, in a bigger picture perspective, because it can feel so hopeless and overpowering if you get caught up in today's headlines and the kind of the corruption and the decay that we see going around in the society around us. But uh, when you put it in a bigger picture, it looks more like uh, a real big opportunity for us to wake up and create a different kind of world together. I love that. I love how you see this as a wake-up call and an opportunity um, to to really put things back together. Um, Robert, why do you think we're so disconnected from Mother Earth, from nature right now? 
Yeah, I think it's another indication that we've been listening to the wrong stories, you know, stories that separate us from nature. And it's it's so great today. There's so I just see so many people that are realizing that uh, we need that connection with nature. And personally, I mean, you know, one of the, the scary things for me last last spring when the uh, pandemic led to a, kind of a, a lockdown in the uh, the Boston area and the, the the New England area, it was like all my places, my sacred places in nature that I like to go to were uh, so many of them were off limits. They were closed. Couldn't go there. And it's like, oh, my God, no access to nature. And it made me realize you know, on an even deeper level how important that is to me, that I, I'm part of nature. Of course, I need to see those trees. I need to see, need to hear that running water. I need to see the birds. I really need those connections. And it's, it's, not, uh, it's not even something that I feel like I want to do for the other species. Uh, it's, I, I need it myself. I need that connection. You know, it's part of a, a larger sense of family and connection with all the different forms of life. And I think, uh, you know, obviously technology is, is disconnecting us from nature. Uh, on a higher um, and deeper level every day. But, you know, it, it kind of, uh, I think the technology thing is more of a symptom than a cause because one of the reasons that I was disconnected from nature in the past is because my mind was disconnected from my body. So I learned to tune into my body and the more tuned in I am to my body, the more tuned in I am to nature. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a great feedback loop to to do things, you know, practices that get you in touch with your body because then it's like, oh, I, I really need to be in touch with nature. I need to get out there and take that walk. I need to, you know, have some quiet time out there in nature. So I, I really find that, um, you know, especially as we move uh, to an on-screen life more and more, uh, that at the same time, I think so many people are realizing how important that connection is with nature. That's great. That's great. Do you have any daily practices that you use aside from, well, I mean, I know nature is a big one, but any daily practices that you use to keep you grounded and a bit more centered and peaceful on a daily basis? Yeah, I, I find um, having some some rituals and practices make a big difference. I think one of the the ones that one one of the ones that's the most basic for me is doing a, a seven directions ritual. So you know it's a, a based on indigenous practices, and it's actually uh, in the in the story of Human Earth Awakening as well. It's one of the rituals in the story, and it uh, is an opportunity for me to tune into the seven directions. So you know the four directions of north, south, east, and west, and uh, and also the directions of earth and sky. So connecting me with the the ancestral spirit world above, the world of the earth beneath my feet, and then going to that seventh direction in my own center. And that that really grounds me and gets me uh, gets me ready for the new day. And I often follow that with some meditation time just to uh, have, a, have a meeting with myself and um, do a, what I call an inner council and check in with the different parts of who I am and figure out what's most important for me to do on that particular day. And um, I find that... Um, helps me to have a, a more conscious and creative experience rather than just sort of as, as you know and I still will do this occasionally too I'll tumble out of bed and neglect to do that and find myself a few <laughs> hours later try, what the hell happened today <laughs> so um, I find that uh, you know something I keep coming back to is doing the seven directions and and trying to uh, make the, the the basics in life uh, sacred practices like uh, generally speaking you know when I sit down to eat I take a little time before I eat and ask myself, what's really going to nourish my body on the deepest level right now? What do I really need? What's my body asking me for? 
and then taking the time to really pay attention to my food while I'm eating and uh, and um, enjoy the taste, enjoy the experience rather than distract myself with something to read. So those are, you know, basic practices kind of keep me in my body and help to balance out those times when I'm up in my head. Great, great. Robert, you said to me that, you know, one way to look at the crisis right now is to consider it an apocalypse. And I'd love to know what your thinking is there. Why, why should we maybe look at the crisis as an apocalypse? Why might that be helpful? Well, it has to do with this idea of kind of the, the, the big picture, because um, it, it helps me to know that what's happening today is really, really big. It's not about, you know, uh, you know like a, an election. It's not about it's not even about just the pandemic and and all that kind of you know stuff. It's it's about every system that we depend on. Every aspect of life today seems to be in some sort of crisis. So that's why to me it's really an apocalypse. And and I actually learned to like that word apocalypse because even though it seems kind of scary, it really uh, means something very positive. What it means is an uncovering and an opening of something that's been covered up or hidden. So I just feel like so many things are coming to the surface now. They're coming up for awareness, for awakening, for healing. And basically, apocalypse is about death and rebirth. So we're, we're coming to the end of a really big cycle in human history. And I think it goes all the way back to the very beginning of civilization. When we first started out, you know, spreading over the planet, dominating the planet. And we've actually succeeded magnificently. You know, I think our human story is a heroic one. We've done incredible things on this planet. And we've succeeded in doing what we wanted to do. And now it's time to kind of stop and go back and return to the tree of life, return to our origins and get back more of that kind of indigenous mind that we've lost along the way. And um, that's why I think, you know, apocalypse is a great metaphor for today. And apocalypse means we're going through the center of a spiral. We're going through a really intense process. You know, it's like going through the, the water, going through the drain and the sink. We're going through something, it's speeding up, and it's going through this little tiny little aperture that's going to, you know, it's going to break out into a new world. And it's either going to be a dystopian world heading to our extinction, or it's going to be a world of rebirth and recreation where we're reconnecting with the planet. So it's a very exciting time to be alive. And I'm really grateful that uh, that I've lived long enough to to see this time, even though it's very it's a stressful time. It's a very exciting time because so many things are ripe for change. Mm. And, and I get the sense that, you know, humanity seems somewhat lost right now, but I, but I get the sense in your voice and in the, in the writing of your new book that you have hope. A am I right about that, Robert, that you are, you are someone that, ha that has a lot of hope right now? I really um, find that the, this image of the tree of life helps me to um, just to, to, to be in the world every day and realize that you know, my, my future starts with this next second and this next second. So I'm, I'm not really thinking too far into the future these days, even though I have wonderful visions of, you know, the future. Um, what really helps me to, to stay grounded in the world today is um, really remember, well, you know, I, I remember a time when uh, I was feeling pretty lost and, and pretty hopeless, frankly, and, uh, and feeling frustrated and desperate for a change. And during one of my meditations is, this guidance came to me and it said, love the life you have, create the life you love. So it's mm. about starting with loving my life exactly the way it is right now 
and loving myself with all my shortcomings and mistakes that I've made in my life, um, I'm still good enough. And it's okay for me to, to feel good about being here. And with all the problems in the world today, I'm still grateful to be living on this, this planet. So, um, you know, once I accept the life I have, then I can connect with these visions and with my spirit guides, receive new visions and take the practical steps. So, you know, I, I want that new direction um, for my life to come from a place of love instead of a place of lack. That's, I, I was just going to say, so, you know, that, that image of um, nourishing the tree of life every day is what helps me. What's going to nourish my tree of life? What's going to help me feel most alive? What's going to help me bring that aliveness into the world in, in the best way possible? You know, that's kind of my, my practice every day is uh, nourishing the tree of life. And it's a great image for, because it's, it's one of those universal images for the divine and for the transcendent. Every culture has that image of the tree of life. Absolutely. Robert, for anyone listening who's feeling a little powerless, a little hopeless right now about their life, about their future, what if, if they were sitting with you, what might be one thing that you'd recommend that they could do today to hopefully begin to take them in a new direction? Um, I think you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, is just loving yourself just the way you are, you know? That's the most basic thing. When I feel like I'm just loving myself just the way I am, all of a sudden things really shift. And those problems, those boulders, you know, that I'm having to climb over, suddenly they become more like stepping stones. You know, they're leading me where I need to go. So that, you know, I like to tune into those inner guides that help me to turn problems into opportunities. So I'd say like, you know, start with loving yourself and then tuning into your inner talk and making sure that you're listening to a loving voice, one that's loving, tells you the truth, and is effective. It helps to guide you in your life. Because when I look back on my life, uh, I mean, I've, I've had some catastrophic things happen in my life. I've also had some of my wildest dreams come true. But one of the most reassuring things for me is looking back and realizing that on some level, I was guided every step of the way. Even when I felt like I was all alone on that road of life, even when I felt really abandoned, I can look back now and go, yeah, but there was a voice there that helped you through that. Or there was somebody that appeared that gave you the resources that you needed to take your next step, you know? So I just, I, you know, find that really helpful to uh, have that sense of being guided. And, you know, whatever that, that means to each person, because we all find that guidance in different ways. But I find just sitting quietly and just saying, I don't really know. I don't have the answer to this. My ego doesn't really <laughs> know what to do with this. So uh, I want to take some time and just listen and see if there's a there's a voice out there in the stillness that starts to come. And um, and in that silence, I can hear that so much better. That's beautiful. Robert, last question. If you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 50 years or so, what words of wisdom might the current Robert share with his younger self? Wow, that would be great. Yeah, well, I think... Um, <laughs> I think I would say to him, uh, your, your life is going to be a really exciting adventure. You're going to experience all the highs and lows of human life, from you know catastrophic tragedies to unimaginable bliss. It's, it's some of your worst case scenarios will come true. I I just have to let you know that right now, but some of your wildest dreams are going to come true. And uh, the other thing that I would say, you know, that I, I didn't know at the time when I was younger, but it's much clearer to me now. It's, it's, I would say, you know, um, know that you're on a mythic quest, that, you know, on some level, your world is dying, 
And your mission is to find the sacred tree of life. So, you know, understanding that my life was a mythic quest and that difficulties and challenges aren't punishments for being a bad person or making terrible mistakes. They're actually opportunities to to kind of get needed by life, you know, and, and I, like a lot of people, I've been making that sourdough bread during the, 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 the uh, pandemic here and learning to uh, enjoy making something good with microbes, you know, and what I found by, you know, making that bread is realizing that, you know, to make, make that good bread, I've got to knead that bread. That means I've got to stretch that bread. I've got to press that bread. I've got to knead it. And when it starts to rise, I'm going to do it again and I'm going to crush it, you know, and it's through that, <laughs> that kneading and crushing and expanding process that that gluten develops and you get a good, good loaf of bread. So I feel like I've been been kneaded by life, you know, in a really good way because I've had had wonderful opportunities and and really great experiences. And I still do. And and I've had some real challenges that have, you know, really brought me to my core and made me feel like this is the end here, you know, that really scared the hell out of me. So that combination seems to be really good for, <laughs> for growth and evolution. And I think it's, it's what our whole species has gone through. I mean, we've gone through ice ages. We've gone through lots of pandemics. We've gone through wars. We've gone through genocides. You know, we've gone through so much as a species, and we've also accomplished so much in the world. So we've been needed, you know, and I think our, um, all those little uh, grooves in our brain, that's part of that that needing that's happened to us. And, and we're really primed for a, a leap in evolution right now. So I'm hoping that Homo sapiens isn't our last incarnation, that we can get on to that next level of humanity, because we know that evolution never stands still. That's great. Well, Robert, thank you so much for the wisdom, the honesty, and the love today. Well, thank you, and wonderful questions. It's always so great to talk to you. You too, Robert. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.